Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you back in my office here in Los Angeles after a very wonderful trip to Eretz Israel. When I came back, I uh, spent a few days at home, took a COVID test. Thankfully, it's returned negative. So I'm able to come back into re-emerge into society just in time for Tisha B'Av. And as you know, the Parsha of the week of Tisha B'Av is always Va'et Chanan. It's the Parsha of prayer. The word Va'et Chanan, we translate it in English to mean pleading, but actually Chazal tell us that there are 10 different languages or 10 different words of prayer which describe prayer in the Hebrew language. And one of them is Chinun, Va'et Chanan, is the word that was used by Moshe Rabbeinu. We'll see the Pasuk in a minute, uh, in which Moshe Rabbeinu described praying to God for a very specific thing. You know, the Eskimos, they say, have many, many different words for snow. Well, obviously, because where they live, there's a lot of snow. Jewish people have a lot of different words for prayer. Do you know why? Because we spend a lot of our time praying. So, on that basis, we're going to read the first pasuk of Parshat Va'etchanan, and we're going to talk a little bit about Moshe Rabbeinu's prayer, and specifically a chazal, a Talmudic, Midrashic source quoted by Rashi, with reference to the prayer and uh, the particular method of prayer that Moshe Rabbeinu used in this given situation. Let's read the pasuk, okay? Um, I think that the source sheet is available um, during the course of the Zoom. We're on Zoom right now. We're also recording this for YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see that the link for the source sheet is also on the YouTube. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, you'll see that the link for the source sheet is on SoundCloud. If you're on my website, then you'll find the link um, on the web page. And finally, let me mention again, if you look at the bottom right-hand corner of your screen, if you're watching YouTube and you click on it, you'll be able to subscribe to my YouTube channel and be regularly updated on the various YouTubes that, uh, that we send out on a very regular basis. My shurim, lectures and other interesting, informative bits and pieces that we broadcast on my YouTube channel. So looking forward to sharing those with you if you subscribe to my channel. In the meantime, let's return to source one on your source sheet, which is the very first pasuk of Parshat Va'etchanan. It's not the first, um, it's not the first pasuk in a chapter. It's actually in the middle of a chapter. It's Perik Gimel, Pasuk of Gimel. The pasuk says, Va'etchanan el Hashem ba'et hahi lemor. I pleaded with God at that moment and I said as follows, I'm not going to um, go into everything that Moshe Rabbeinu said, but suffice to say that his request at that moment was for God to allow him to enter into the promised land. If you recall that as a result of the events at May Meriva, I've given a number of shurim over the years on May Meriva, when the sister of Moses and Aaron passed away, Miriam. She was the source of merit by which the Jewish nation was able to drink water, have drinking water and water for their use uh, 
Uh, during their 40 years in the wilderness, there was something called the Be'er Miriam, which traveled alongside the Jewish nation. For some reason, when she died, it dried up and they didn't know where it was or they didn't know where they could find water. And without going into the details of it, you must listen to the Shi'urim. You can find it on my website, um, not one, but I think several uh, about Meimariva. But as a result of whatever it was that occurred on that particular occasion, Moshe Rabbeinu was told that he, along with all the other people who'd already been told that they wouldn't enter into the Promised Land, them as a result of 40 years earlier, or 38 years earlier, the story of the Meraglim, him as a result of the story of Meimariva, he would not be allowed to enter into the Promised Land. Said Moshe Rabbeinu in his final addresses, to the Jewish nation in those five weeks, one of them, he included, in one of them, he included this particular episode. And he wanted to make a declaration as to what had occurred in that situation. And he said, I pleaded with God, I begged God, please allow me to enter into the promised land. But God didn't listen to him as you see in the Psukim that follow. If you look at chapter 23 of Devarim, you will see that God did not actually grant Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, his request of entering into the Promised Land. And um, Moshe Rabbeinu died and was buried, as we see at the end of Devarim. He was buried in the Midbar, in the wilderness, and they were led by Joshua, by Yehoshua bin Nun. And that's the next stage of the Jewish story, the conquest of the Holy Land, of Eretz Yisrael. But let's focus on this word, Va'et Hanan. told you there's 10 different words, or as it were, Lushonot, languages of prayer, that are used in Hebrew, in Lashon HaKodesh. One of them being Chinun. Where does this word come from? Says Rashi, he's quoting a Chazal. En Chinun Bechol Makom. Wherever you see the word Chinun, do you know what it means? It means, I'm going to translate this into modern parlance, matnat chinam means a free gift. In Posha English you'd say ex gratia. There's absolutely no reason for you to receive it as it were. You're being given this out of the kindness of the giver's heart. Matnat chinam. Chinun, the root is chinam, similar. And therefore, Va'etchanan means that whenever somebody prays with this particular version of prayer, Bechom Makom, Zeloshon Matnat Chinam. Afal Pi, says Rashi, this is how he continues. Sheyesh lahem letzadikim litlot b'maaseem hatovim. That a righteous person can rightfully say, I deserve a gift. I deserve my prayer to be answered because of all the good deeds that I have done. That's what the righteous person, he's a tzaddik after all. He's a righteous person. Or she's a righteous person. And they're praying to God. What's the whole point of prayer? Communication with God. Why would you ask God for anything? Because God can give you stuff. Why should God give you stuff? Because you did good stuff yourself. So, as it were, in payment for the stuff that you want to receive from God, you have the ma'asim tovim. That's what Rashi is saying. Even though, she yesh le tzadikim litlot 
even though they are able to say that in return for the good deeds that they have done, they are requesting from God whatever it is that they are asking for. One of the outstanding features of tzadikim is that they do not ask for things in return for the ma'asim tovim that they have performed over the years. Rather, they ask for a matnat chinam, they ask for, as it were, an ex gratia gift, a free gift, something that God is going to give them, not in return for their ma'asim tovim. It's an enigmatic Rashi. So I'm, I'm just going to say to you on the face of it what Rashi seems to be saying, and then we're going to look at the Shem Mishmuel, okay? On the face of it, what Rashi seems to be saying is one of the aspects of righteousness of a tzaddik is, what does a tzaddik do? He doesn't um, seem to consider his ma'asim tovim or her ma'asim tovim to be of sufficient value so that when he prays or she prays to God, that something will be given by God in return for them. That in and of itself seems to be an indicator of somebody who is a tzaddik. Rashi seems to be conveying this idea that it's praiseworthy not to request something of God in return for something that you may have done. And indeed, that is the message of this particular narrative in the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu is telling the Jewish people that there was one thing he wanted above any other. If there was one thing in his life that he wanted more than anything else that he'd ever wanted, do you know what it was? It was to enter into Eretz Yisrael. Va'etchanan el Hashem. I asked for God from God for a matnat chinam. Va'etchanan chinun chinam. I didn't suggest to God that because I'm Moshe Rabbeinu and I am the greatest Jewish leader of Jewish history. I mean, obviously, not all of Jewish history had yet occurred. But he's saying to God, I am not suggesting that you give it to me because I deserve it for something I have done. I'm simply asking from you as a personal request, please give it to me, not because I deserve it, but as a matnat chinam. That on the face of it seems to be what Rashi is suggesting. But as you're going to see, that while at a very superficial level, that seems to make a lot of sense. It's a nice thing to say about Moshe Rabbeinu, that he, as part of, I guess, his humility, we know that he was a very humble man, the humblest man ever to walk the face of the earth. As part of that humility, he didn't expect God to give him anything for the good deeds that he may have done. He was asking for a matnat chinam. Superficially, that sounds cute, it sounds nice, it sounds laudable. If you delve slightly deeper into it, it really makes no sense. It doesn't make sense. Let's look at the Shem Mishmuel and let's take it from there. Okay? The Shem Mishmuel is source number three on your sheet. It's a beautiful piece. An it's not a long piece. Sometimes the Shem Mishmuel goes on and on and on. But here, the Shem Mishmuel, in a very succinct fashion, really summarizes everything that there is to say in terms of trying to understand it, at least from one particular perspective. Let's have a look. 
So he quotes Rashi and then he says, V'yesh lahavin. And let's try and understand it. Halo yadua. It is well known. Shekol ma adam tzadik biyoter v'yodeat gadlut Hashem itbarach. The greater that a person becomes in terms of their righteousness and their knowledge of God, who yodea b'yoter, the more he knows and understands, lo gadlut You know that the great philosopher, the Greek philosopher, who said, the more you know, the more you realize how little you know, that, imagine, multiply that a hundred, a thousand times over, in terms of your knowledge of God, the more spiritual you are and the more connected you are to God, the more you realize how minute you are in terms of spiritual achievement. You're never going to match up to God's expectations of you. So you know as a tzaddik, an ordinary person might think, oh, I gave a bit of charity, I went to shul, you know, I came on time. Can you believe it? I came on time to shul. I didn't speak the whole of davening. Amazing, right? I mean, God must be so happy with me. That's an ordinary person. But if you're a tzaddik, you know that even if you've never spoken davening your entire life, I mean, what, how does that match up to the fact that really every moment, every waking moment of your life, you should be spending it in the praise of God and davening? Never mind not talking in davening, right? And if you gave charity once in your life, what, that's such a fantastic thing? Think about all the times you spent money on yourself. A tzaddik knows that, look, I've... I'm not saying that you shouldn't spend money on yourself. Of course, you need to eat, you need to live, you need to do the things that you need to do. But think about all the good I could have done with the money I've spent on food in order to feed myself. What a waste. I could have done it in the service of God. So the greater you are in terms of your spiritual awareness, the more you realize how lacking you are in terms of your spiritual level, of your spiritual achievements. That's what the Shemi Shmuel says. You've really not reached very high level. You're a C minus, not an A plus. The Rav Sadia Gaon, he mentions a well-known story, situation with Rav Sadia Gaon. He used to do tshuva, he used to repent every single day. On the fact that he was lacking in that, in the service of God of yesterday, I wasted the whole day. People would look at me, are you crazy? You're of Sadiogani, one of the greatest rabbis of our generation. What do you mean you wasted the day? He said, yeah, but I could have done so much more. Imagine what I could have been if I would have done something more. Because today I realize that yesterday I didn't even know how great God was. Yeah, I knew, but I only knew at yesterday's level. Today I know even much more. And how I wasted my time yesterday. This is what Rav Sadia Gaon says, right? He's a tzaddik. He understands his deficiency in terms of tzidkut. Of a medrash. And the medrash says, A creation has nothing, has nothing in terms of, in comparison to the greatness of God. How is it possible for Rashi to suggest that a tzaddik, when davening to Hashem, should say, do you know why you should give me what you should give me? Because I did all those ma'asim tovim. Are you kidding me? No one knows better than a tzaddik that those ma'asim tovim, 
that they've done is really of very little value. Obviously, it's, you know, you need to keep treading water. You need to keep yourself going spiritually. But to then expect God to give you something in return? Come on. Are you kidding me? Adarabba. A tzaddik knows that they've done nothing. What, what are you even suggesting by saying that a tzaddik would, as it were, expect God to give him something in return? Obviously everything that you receive is considered matnat chinam, is considered an ex-gratia gift, a free gift from God. Because your ma'asim tovim don't even come close. It's like walking into a shop and saying, I'd like to buy a Rolex watch. How much money do you have? I have a dollar. You're kidding me? One dollar, you're going to buy a Rolex watch? A Rolex watch costs thousands and thousands of dollars. Why would you think that one dollar would be sufficient to pay for it? So obviously a tzaddik knows that because he knows the value of the watch and he knows the value of money in spiritual terms. And Kvod Kedushat Zekeni, he says, my grandfather, my ancestor, Ha'admur Agadol Mikotsk, the Heiliger Kotzke Rebbe. You know, the Menachem Mendel Morgenstern of Kotzk was one of the great and more, greatest and wisest of all the Polish Hasidic rabbis of the 19th century. He did, and what did he say? He tried to explain this Rashi as follows. Shaperush b'ma'asim tovim she'atidim la'asot. Do you know what the Kotzka said? That a tzaddik doesn't try and suggest that God should give him something in return for that which he has already done. Says the Kotzka, you know what might be useful in terms of currency in an exchange with God? Ma'asim tovim that you are going to do, that they are there in the future. Says the Shemishmul about his grandfather's suggestion, the Enomuvan doesn't make any sense. Because we know that the Pasuk says, you can't even expect this to make any sense. The Pasuk says in Mishle, in Proverbs, and it's in Proverbs, Perik of Zion, Pasuk Aleph 27.1. Don't ever try and suggest, ah, tomorrow, that's when it's all going to come together. You don't know what's going to happen today. You know that uh, it's ascribed to Sam Goldwyn. It's not him who actually said it. It was a Danish politician in the 1930s. I never prophesy, especially about the future. Don't suggest that something that may happen in the future should act as collateral for something that you want today. I'm going to go into the watch shop. I'm going to say... I would like to pay for the Rolex watch. Oh, it costs $10,000. You take out your checkbook and you post-date a check for 10 years' time. And you give the guy in the watch shop the check with a date for 10 years' time. Will he accept the check? Will he give you the watch? Well, if he did, he'd lose his job, right? Because that check is worthless. Because who knows if you're even going to be there in 10 years' time? Who knows if you're going to be there tomorrow? Who knows if you're going to last out the day? That's not the way it works. So what's the Kotzka suggesting? And it also says, um, it says, in the Medrash, 
it says as follows about Yaakov Avinu, Tafsu al Yaakov Avinu, Shalom. There was some negative vibe about something that Yaakov Avinu said, Shamar, that he made some kind of suggestion that that which God would give him, that that which he would merit would be as a result of something that was going to happen in the future. And there's discussion in the Medrash about how that's not an appropriate thing to say. So what would the Kotzka be saying by suggesting that Ma'asim Tovim of Tzadikim is something that would happen in the future? So the first question that the Shemi Shmuel is asking is why would a Tzadik who understands the value of the currency even think ever to ask for God something based on their ma'asim tovim, because they know that the value of that currency is minimal compared with what is expected of them. And secondly, why would the Kotzka have suggested, okay, may not be talking about things that you have already done, but perhaps it's talking or it is talking about things that you will do in the future. How does that make any sense? Says the Shemi Shmuel, the Nir el he says, perhaps we can explain it as follows. The Medrash says, You know that Hashem himself is the one who looks after and perpetuates his mitzvahs. Let's say somebody has every intention of keeping mitzvahs and he wants to follow in God's path. Whether it is in terms of their um, affinity to or study of Torah, or whether it is in the observance of God's mitzvahs. So, you know that one of the greatest and most wonderful things that you can do is to support Torah. How do you support Torah? You pay money. Let's say I give money to a yeshiva. I'm giving money to the yeshiva. Am I giving money for that which they learned yesterday? No, because they already learned it. I'm not paying for that because it's already done. It's in the past. I can't pay for something that already happened. So now I'm going to take out my charity checkbook and I'm going to give a check for charity and it's going to go to the yeshiva. What's that money paying for? For something that didn't happen yet. And yet we know it's a great mitzvah. How do we know it? Because God himself does everything that he can to smooth the way, to create the possibility, the ability, the circumstances for people to observe mitzvahs if that's what they want to do. And when we become Tomechei Torah, when we support Torah, we're not supporting something that already happened. I can't pay for Rabbi Akiva to write, um, or Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Huda Nasi to write the Mishnah. Why? It's already been written. I can't do something that already happened. I can't pay for the Chasm Sofa. I can't pay for Rabbi Akiva Eger. I can't pay for the Shulchan Aruch. It's already happened. It's done. It's in the past. But I can create circumstances by which I have facilitated the Torah of the future. I have facilitated the mitzvahs of the future. And who is my role model? God himself. Because he facilitates people's 
ability to do mitzvahs and study Torah. And that too is the method of the two tribes. Yisachar and Zvulun, one supports the other for the study of Torah. One does business and the other one studies Torah. One goes on long journeys in order to achieve the financial wherewithal that will support the study of Torah of the other. Shimon, Achi, um, Azaria, and like Shimon, who was the brother of Azaria, it's mentioned to Gemara in Saita Daf Chaf Aleph Amud Aleph. Bevadai Gama Kodesh Baruch Hu Mesayeo Mekaya Mitzvah Zu. We know that God Himself is the one that gives support and enables the Shimons to support the Azarias, the Yisachas to support the Zvuluns, or Zvuluns to support the Yisachar, and for those who are Tomchit Torah to have the wherewithal to support Torah, God is the facilitator, therefore we become the facilitator, we imitate God in that way. We imitate God by creating the platform for the future study of Torah and the future observance of mitzvahs. Ach if the intention is pure and if it is clear, if it is um, totally as it is meant to be in its intention, that you should perform the mitzvah Hashem, that, that is why you're doing it. The only reason you're doing it is because you want to support the performance of God's mitzvahs. The reason why you are giving the charity to the yeshiva is not because you want the name up on the wall, or not because you want your friends to say how charitable you are, or not because you want to feel good about yourself and maybe something that uh, else that you're doing that oh, at least I'm giving money to charity. I'm not wasting it all on the stuff that's just for my own benefit. No, no. The reason you're supporting Torah is because you want to support Torah, because you know that Torah is important, you know that that's what God wants in this world. If that's the situation, and therefore those who are righteous, the people who are truly righteous, the ones who can be really termed as being tzadikim, because we know that it says, the Pasuk says in Tehillim, Kuf Yud Bet, that God wants their mitzvahs most of all. But Darshu, Chazal and Chazal say about that, mitzvotav. It's not about the benefit of those mitzvot to, it's not about that, it's about the mitzvot in and of themselves have such great value. God himself values the mitzvot of those who have pure ideals and pure intentions to the extent that he will create the circumstances that will enable them to perform the mitzvot because God wants... Why did God create the world? God has a perfect heaven with people who never do Averot because there's no Bechira in heaven. There's no choice between good and evil. That choice only exists in our physical material world. Therefore, it must be that God created the world you don't have to be a great philosopher to work this out, by the way. You don't have to read reams of philosophy to understand God's intention. God's intention to create the world was so that people perform his mitzvot against prevailing circumstances. In and of itself, 
a human being would not perform mitzvot, would not believe in God. But the fact that we believe in God and do mitzvot, that is the purpose of creation. And obviously, God values mitzvot of anybody who does them. But the purer your motives, and the purer your ideals, and the purer your intentions, the more God will want to facilitate your particular performance of mitzvot. And that is the story with Tzadikim. He wants them to achieve their objectives because they are the ultimate purpose of creation. Binei, and we see in Masechet Sotah Daf Yudalad Amadalaf, the Moshe, Eret Israel. What was Moshe's intention? Why did he want to go to the land of Israel? What, what was it about the land of Israel that he felt was so important that he should go there? What does the Gemara in Sota say? He wanted to go there. He wanted to be in Eretz Yisrael. Not v'chi le'echol mipriyah He didn't need to eat the fruits of the land of Israel. By the way, it was quite easy. He could have sent a few spies or a messenger, or he could have found a few peddlers in the Sinai Desert who were traveling in caravans from one place to another. He could have said, let me buy the fruit of the land of Israel. That's not what he wanted. He wasn't looking to live in Netanya because he wanted to retire there because he liked the view. He wasn't looking to uh, live in another country because he was running away from where he came from. Uh, he could have stayed in Midian. And, you know, he could have even stayed in the wonderful situation that was in the Midbar, where they were surrounded by Ananeha Kavod, where they were served mon every day, where they were uh, given the uh, Mayim from the Be'er Miriam, where they were in close proximity to God, much closer proximity than they would ever be in Eretz Israel because the Mishkan was never very far away. It wasn't, none of these things were important to him. That's, in other words, it, it wasn't the fact that Eretz Yisrael was just a place that he yearned to go to for some personal reason. Because he could have stayed where he was and been very happy. That wasn't the reason. Do you know why he wanted to go? He wanted to perform the mitzvot which are relevant to Eretz Yisrael. That's why he wanted to go there. He wanted to achieve the ultimate objective. I received the Torah. I heard all about the mitzvot atuliot ba'aretz, let's say teruma. I want to be able to participate in the mitzvah of teruma, whatever that may mean for Moshe Rabbeinu. I want to participate in the mitzvot that are pertinent to the land of Israel. Any mitzvah that is only relevant in Israel, I want to be a part of it. So Moshe Rabbeinu could have come with a very strong um, claim, as it were. He could have said to God, you know why I want to go to Eretz Israel? I want to perform all those mitzvot. Because we know that his prayers to go into Eretz Israel were not intermingled with any other personal self-serving motive. That being the case, that's exactly what it was. That's why Hashem Barach perhaps would have granted him his request. You know what? 
A tzaddik understands why God created the world. Do you know why God created the world? He created the world so that tzaddikim can do mitzvot. He created the world so that somebody like Moshe Rabbeinu would have an opportunity to do a mitzvah that he'd never done before. That's why he's there. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu exists. And that being the case, what greater motivation could God have to grant the request than to say, I want Moshe Rabbeinu to be in Eretz Yisrael so that he would perform the mitzvot at Tuliot Ba'aretz. He could have said, I would like to suggest to you, God, that the reason you grant me my request is because of my ma'asim tovim, not the ones I've done. They're in the past. They're done. I don't, that's nothing to do. I know that they're worthless. But I know that you value the things that I might do because that's why the world is created. That's why the world is standing. So that the tzaddikim with pure motives can do mitzvot. And that's what Rashi is saying. Remember. Rabbeinu could have said that. The only reason why tzaddikim pray to God could be because they say, Hi. God, you like me? Not because of what I've done, but because you want me to exist so that I can do the mitzvot, because that's why you created the world. They can say, please answer my prayer. Please facilitate me in the performance of my mitzvot. That's what they could say. It's the ma'asehem lahaba. Those which are not yet in existence, but which will come into existence. Those that will happen in the future. Those which I want to do and which God knows very well that they will do. In other words, it's not a blank check. It's money in the bank as far as God is concerned. I want the Rolex watch and here's a post-dated check. And God knows that that check is worth money. It's worth even more than the amount that's written on it because that in and of itself is the whole purpose of the game. But But nevertheless, and this explains the Kotzka. This explains what the Kotzka means. Those which are coming in the future. God, you created the world in this. You created this calibration of the way the world works. And therefore, you should listen to my request but that's not what they do. They don't use that as leverage. A true tzaddik doesn't use that very valuable post-dated check as leverage to get what he wants from God. Not at all. A tzaddik understands that when he davens to Hashem va'atchanan el Hashem ba'etahilemor, I daven to Hashem for matnat chinam. I don't want that. I don't want God to feel that somehow I'm, as it were, Kabayachol, twisting his arm about something that he wants. I want a matnat chinam. Moshe Rabbeinu had every opportunity to do that. What could have been more valuable to God? What would have been more valuable to God than Moshe Rabbeinu going to Eretz Israel and performing all the mitzvot to Liot Ba'aretz? And yet, Moshe Rabbeinu never played that ace card that he had up his sleeve. Rather, he asked for matnat chinam. Let's go into source number four. Rav Naim ben Eliyahu, a great rabbi from the Sephardic community in Jerusalem. He died a few years ago. 
He was a very significant rabbi. I believe he had a big community in the Bukharian section of Jerusalem, very close to Meir Sha'arim. And he, I've, I've recorded the story, in fact, I've edited it a bit, I found it online, I knew the story. But uh, he tells a fascinating story about Sir Moses Montefiore. Sir Moses Montefiore, as you know, was one of the greatest philanthropists of Jewish history, if not the greatest philanthropist of Jewish history. And he traveled to Eretz Yisrael seven times. A few weeks ago, I uh, gave a lecture in which I recalled the life story of Sir Moses Montefiore. It's linked on my website on this, uh, regarding the Shi'ur. You can find the lecture of Sir Moses Montefiore if you want to know a little bit more about him. I didn't repeat this particular story, or indeed many other stories about Sir Moses, but this is a very, very nice story. And Rav Naim ben Eliyahu actually uh, repeats this story to support a particular method of interpretation with regard to Ve'etchanan al and Matnat Chinam and this whole concept, this whole issue. The story is as follows. So Moses Montefiore, as you know, um, went to Eretz Yisrael many times. And after, I guess, he'd been once, twice, three times, they knew the, the uh, program was that he would come with a lot of money from all different parts of the Jewish world, and he would distribute that money in Eretz Yisrael. He became a conduit, not just for his own money, he gave a lot of his own money away. He retired actually at the age of 40. He'd been working with his brother-in-law, who was Rothschild. He was his broker, his stockbroker. He made a lot of money and he decided at the age of 40, I've had enough, I don't need to work. And he devoted the remainder of his life to philanthropy. And he lived to the age of 101 years old. So he lived over 60 years um, after he retired from active commercial work. And on one of his visits to Eretz Yisrael, and I think many of them, the community, uh, the leadership, um, assigned to him an assistant, somebody who would help him at every stage of the way, that he would collect him from the dock, bring him to Jerusalem, which was at that time the most prominent Jewish community in Eretz Yisrael. There were four major Jewish communities in Eretz Yisrael in the middle of the 19th century. They were Jerusalem, Hebron, Tzfat, and Tiberia. Those are the major Jewish centers. There were other much smaller Jewish centers, you know, little um, agricultural enclaves. But generally speaking, if you were looking for the major Jewish communities, it was in those four particular towns. And he first went to Jerusalem, and this person who was assigned to him was asked by the Jewish leadership to ensure that Moses Montefiore's money all went to the right causes and people, because many people sought his money. And if uh, anybody who knows that if they have some money to give out, um, that there's going to be a lot of people after it. And particularly, they knew that Sir Moses Montefiore didn't speak Yiddish and he didn't speak Hebrew. Those were the two languages spoken by the Jews of Eretz Israel. And therefore, there was concern that people would mislead him and that perhaps frauds and fakes would come and try and get money from him. And this um, person who was assigned to be his assistant was there to make sure that, first of all, he would make it to his hotel, he'd make it from one location to another without out being accosted, and that when he did set times to meet people who were collecting money, that, that he would give the correct amount of money 
to the institutions or people who were seeking it from him. And this person stood by his side constantly throughout his trip. We're not talking about two or three days, we're talking about weeks. So first in Jerusalem, and I, I'm, if you watch my lecture, you'll see that one of the slides is actually a depiction of Sir Moses Montefiore handing out money in Jerusalem and lines, queues of people lining up to receive money from him. In any event, he had a box with him that he'd taken with him from Europe in which there were bags of money, literally bags of money. And each bag had the name of a city on it. One bag was Yerushalayim. So when he had the uh, meetings in Jerusalem with people who were seeking money from him, he would take out the bag marked Jerusalem and they would come and they would say to him whatever it is that uh, their story was with regard to their solicitation of charitable funds. And the person who was assigned to him, his assistant, would then uh, translate it for him and make a suggestion as to how much money he should give. In other words, this cause is a worthy cause. They're asking for X, but perhaps you should give Y. Perhaps the Y was less, perhaps the Y was more. Uh, that's not clear. It's not important. But the person was an Ish Ne'eman, a trustworthy individual that had been assigned for this job by the community. And he ensured that Sir Moses Montefiore, um, when he gave out the money, would give out the correct amounts and to the right people. Uh, and as the meetings came to a close in Jerusalem and the money is almost ended, it's almost completely gone, Sir Moses turned to his trusty assistant, this person who had been assigned by the community in Eretz Israel to be alongside him, and said to him, do you need any money perhaps? He said, no, no, I don't need anything. No, thank you. It's fine. Don't worry. All right. He gave out the rest of the money and they went from there to Hebron. He spent a few days in Hebron. And once again, Sir Moses gave out a lot of money, at the end of which he said to his assistant, do you need any money? And the bag was almost out of cash. He said, no, no, thank you. It's fine. I don't need. Don't worry. Thank you very much for offering. Went to Tiveria. Same story. Gave out a lot of money in Tiveria. He's almost at the end of the bag of money and Sir Moses Montefiore turns to this person who'd been assigned to him and says and what about you are you in requirement of any of these funds he said no no thank you it's totally fine I don't need anything and finally he was in Tzfat once again the same story and then this person accompanied him back to Yaffa um, and he was about to go on board the ship that was going to take him from Eretz Israel back home to London and he turns to this fellow, he says, I'm, I'm so impressed with you because you had ever, I'm obviously you're in no different situation than any of the other people who've come to me for money. I know that you're not a wealthy person. I know that you obviously need help. And everybody in Eretz Israel that I've met needs help. And yet on several occasions, I offered you um, financial assistance and you turned me down. I want to tell you that that's very impressive that you were able to withstand the Yetzirah as it were this, um, this desire for financial assistance in favor of others who were seeking it from me. And, uh, but you know what? Just let me ask you a question. Do you need financial assistance and is there anything I can give you? So he said um, back to Sir Moses, he says, the truth is you've run out of money. You don't have any cash. But I know that you're a very wealthy man. And of course you can give me money. And you're absolutely right. I do need money. So says Sir Moses, why didn't you ask me for the money when I had the cash? He said, I'll tell you why. Because that cash 
had already been assigned for the poor people of Jerusalem, of Hebron, of Tiberia, and of Tzfat. And those people who were coming to see you, if I were to take any money from the bag that had already been assigned for those people, then I would be taking their money. Because there was a fixed amount of money that you had decided you were going to give in each particular place. And that money was meant to go to those people in that place. And if I were to take any amount from it, then I would be taking from the amount that is due to them. And therefore I didn't want to do that. However, I do know, notwithstanding the fact that you may not have any charitable cash left, that doesn't mean you don't have anything worthwhile giving me. For example, I've noticed throughout my trip that you wear a diamond-studded watch. Each one of those diamonds in your watch is worth money. And if you were to just give me one of those diamonds, that would be plenty for me in order to facilitate whatever it is that I need to do and in terms of my financial difficulties. But I didn't want to take from the money that, that um, had already been assigned to other people. And so Moses said to him, you know what, you're a very wise and clever man. Because you're absolutely right. I never came to Eretz Yisrael with any intention of giving the money other than I had the money that I had assigned for the people in those four different bags. But that doesn't mean I don't have other money to give you. It doesn't mean that there's not elsewhere financial resources, as far as I'm concerned, which can support you. And he took off his watch and he gave his watch to this man and he said, you know what, you take this watch and you now have something that you weren't expecting to get and that you never asked me for, and that I never expected to give you. But here it is. Says Rav Na'im ben Eliyahu, this story is an illustration of exactly what it is that Moshe Rabbeinu was doing when he said, when he said, I'm not asking for something which is to do with my ma'asim tovim. I'm asking for something which is to do with matnat chinam. Listen to the words of Rav Na'im ben Eliyahu. And you can find it towards the end of source number four on your source sheet. Hanimshalhu, do you know what the nimshal is of this parable? You know what Moshe Rabbeinu was asking God for? He was asking God, allow me to live, I don't want to die. But do you know something? There are many people who they become sick. And they want to live. Where should God give them life from? Think about it. Somebody is sick. They have a terminal illness. Where exactly where their, will their life come from? The fact is, there's nothing to prevent God from doing something, anything that he wants to do. But where exactly is it that he's going to take this life from that this person needs in order to survive the terminal illness? Do you know what the Lashon Chinun means, says Rashi here? It means a free gift, an ex-gratia payment. When you are a tzaddik, you don't ask Hashem for something that you um, are uh, expecting to get in any event. You're asking for matnat chinam, amar, says, says uh, Rav Ben Eliyahu, do you understand what's going on here? Do you understand what the dynamic is here? 
I, as Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, there's different levels of request. There's a request, I'd like that which has already been assigned to me, or I'd like something which hasn't been assigned to me. Ultimately, there are those things which you deserve. I'm going to use the same example as I, as I mentioned earlier. You go into a store, and you say, I would like to buy something. And you take out money, and you give the money to the cashier, and the cashier gives you the thing that you want to buy. There's an exchange of goods here, or an exchange of cash for goods. It's simple. It's a simple barter um, relationship. I give you this and I get that. Why should I get that? I deserve it. I paid for it. How much does the watch cost? It costs X amount of dollars. I've given you the money, therefore it's now mine. But the person who in the shop still has it. They have to give it to you. They need to wrap it up in a box. They need to put it in a bag and then they give it to you and you walk out the shop and then you've got it. Until you've got me, you may have given the money already, but until you've got it, you don't have it. But that's just an exchange of goods. Hashem kotsev l'chol echad Everybody gets an allotted amount of time in this world, right? You know, three, three score years and ten, or whatever it is. We say, you get 120 years. That's the amount of time that's been allotted to you. Actually, it could be for some people it's 70, could be for some people it's 80, could be for some people it's 90, could be for some people it's 100. Everybody gets a different amount. It could be 82, it could be 65. Everybody gets a different amount of time that's allotted to them for their lives. And if somebody has a terminal illness and the amount of time that's been given to them is, let's say they're 64 years old and the amount of time that's been given to them is 65 years, pray all you want. The amount of time you're going to get is 65. That's the maximum. Beyond that, you're not going to get because that's what God has already given you. Somebody who wants to be wealthy. Okay? He says, I'd love to be wealthy. He's praying and praying, I want to be wealthy. But you know what? He was born, as it were, in a situation where God has decreed for him not to be a fabulously wealthy individual. And therefore, he doesn't have money to pay for the weddings of his children. Where exactly is he going to get that money from? Because that money has not been assigned to him. It doesn't belong to him. He doesn't have, as it were, the currency because that is not his. Somebody who's not particularly intelligent or intellectual wants to become very wise, wants to be very knowledgeable. But he can't. He's a tipesh. He just doesn't have the wherewithal. It's not possible for him to become an intellectual, a professor teaching at a university. Because that's what God decreed for him. That's what God assigned, designated for that particular individual. Adam Shafel Rotzekabod, somebody who is at the very lower end of the echelons of society, wants to receive great acclaim and respect and honor. How's he going to receive it? He wants to be the prime minister. What are you talking about? That's not your lot in life. That's not what you are meant to be. That's not your designated lot. That is not what you have been assigned by God. That is, you know, everybody is born with a particular assignation, a particular lot in life. 
Therefore, if you want something that's greater than the sum of the parts that have been assigned to him, do you know perhaps how he might get it? He might get it because somebody else might not have it. Do you know why he might become wealthy? Because somebody else might become poor. Do you know why he might become uh, um, brighter or get more respect? Because somebody else won't get respect. In other words, there, there will be an increase in what you get and a decrease perhaps in what somebody else gets. That's not fair. Because there's only a certain amount that is in existence that can be, as it were, by the natural order, whatever that may mean, the natural order of events for you to receive, for you to achieve. Moses understands something that it's important for all of us to understand. He understands this with the highest level of his spiritual knowledge. He can see beyond, as it were, the natural order of events. He can see that there's something which is greater than that which has already been assigned to you. It could be that your lifespan is three score years and ten. What if you want to live till the age of 71? You can say it's a waste of time. I, don't, I can't pray for something that's not going to happen. I'm not going to pray for a cure for a terminal illness if... There's nobody who's ever been cured from this terminal illness. What's the point? Because I'm not going to get cured anyway. Why waste my time? Moshe Rabbeinu knows something better. He understands something which is beyond that very basic, very superficial understanding of the way that God works. What is it? He says, God Almighty, God, the God of everything, the universe and everything. I don't want to receive something that doesn't belong to me. I don't want somebody else to suffer as a result of something that I receive. I don't want somebody else not to go to Eretz Israel because I am going to Eretz Israel. I don't want to receive another year of my life and somebody else will receive one less year of their life. I don't want there to be an equalization that will result in somebody else getting less or having less. I would like to receive a personal gift from you. I want to receive something personal from you, something really special from you that's over and above that which I necessarily might have received. It's beyond, as it were, this concept of the natural order of events. I want to receive the watch and the diamonds. I don't want to take from the bag from Yerushalayim with the coins that have to go to the poor people of Jerusalem or the institutions in Jerusalem for which you have assigned this cash. Because I know if I take the coin from that bag, then one of the institutions won't get the coin that has been designated or the money that's been designated for their support. I want to receive something over and above. I don't want the people of Jerusalem and Hebron and Tveri and Tzfat, as that man who was assigned to Sir Moses Montefiore said to him, said, I don't want to receive their money. I want to receive something over and above. With great wisdom, he said, I know that you're wealthy. You have something which is much more than the money you already brought to Israel and distributed to everyone. You have a watch with diamonds, for example. You have plenty of other things, assets and resources that you can support me with that won't affect anybody else. Says Rabnaim Ben Eliyahu. Do you know what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying? 
I don't want something which is going to be to the detriment of others. I want a matnat chinam, v'aitchanan el Hashem. He prayed to God with chinun, b'chinam. I want something which is more than you were expecting to give me, for nothing. Not which is somehow connected to something else or someone else or some other situation. That was the prayer. That's the ultimate form of prayer. That in and of itself helps us understand what God and Moshe Rabbeinu in their relationship really achieved. And why Moshe Rabbeinu is considered to be one of the greatest Jewish leaders of all time. And finally, I'm not going to read the whole piece. Rabbi Eliezer Bar'on adds to this a whole new level. And he says, there is at a certain, a certain level, the way we pray, we pray for things that we need and we get. And then we pray for things that we may never get and we may never understand how we're going to get them. And yet we still pray. We abandon logic. We abandon rational thought. We abandon everything and we go beyond that stage and we say matnat chinam. Ultimately, our belief in God, our belief in Rabbonoshel Olam is not that we should receive something because we should receive it, but we should receive something even though we shouldn't receive it, but because God gives it to us. And what is the greatest example of that? None other than Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel. Moshe Rabbeinu said, I understand that the whole concept of Eretz Yisrael is why should we receive such a beautiful country? Why should we receive this fantastic inheritance, this Nachala from Avraham, Yitzchak and Yaakov? There's no reason for us to get it. There's no reason for us to achieve this pinnacle of human existence in the land of God's choosing, Eretz Yisrael. It's matnat chinam. In what other way could I possibly pray to be allowed to enter into Eretz Yisrael other than Ve'etchanan el Hashem Be'matnat chinam And how lucky we are in our generation to have the land of Israel in which we, the people of Israel, reside. We have sovereignty over all of the places in Eretz Yisrael which means so much to our history and to our heritage. We have achieved the pinnacle of human existence we, thousands of years after Moshe Rabbeinu lived, thousands of years after he was not able to enter into Eretz Yisrael, we are able to get onto a plane and to fly into Ben-Gurion airport and to be in the land of Israel as a Jewish people, in the land of our heritage, the ultimate in our existence. Thank you.